So just for the next couple of weeks as we go into what is not only a new year, but a new decade, we're going to use the next couple of weeks just to sort of take stock as to where we are. This week, we're going to look at that individually. What, what does the new year, what does this new season mean for us? And then next week, both Chris and I will be looking perhaps a bit more. So what does that mean for us as a church? So if you've got a Bible in front of you, we've got two readings for this morning. One from Isaiah, which is chapter 43, verses 16 to 21. And then 2 Corinthians 5, also verses 16 to 21. So we'll start with the Isaiah 43 passage. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wasteland and streams in the wilderness to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again verses 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God we were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's just pause for a moment, shall we? Lord, as we look at these two passages that talk of newness, of the new thing, of the new creation, Lord, would you cast our vision further? Would you help us this morning just to grasp that vision of who you are and what you call us into? Lord, would you break down in our lives those things that hinder us from walking into all that you have for us for this day and for the future? Open our hearts to you, we pray. Amen. Seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment, um, and this is particularly on social media, about people doing the 10-year challenge. Has anyone done it? A couple of people. So the 10-year challenge, what you do is you put a picture of yourself in 2010, and then next to it you put a picture of yourself in 2020, and you leave people to comment as to how you've changed. Anyone fancy doing that? So some people actually, amazingly, seem to look younger now than they did 10 years ago. Other people look the same, and other people, perhaps the change hasn't been so flattering. But this was one that really caught my eye. 
If you've driven down the M6, you will know why that is quite appropriate. But the problem with any picture that shows change is it doesn't show the change that is most important, does it? You know, we may change outwardly, but what's going on inside? What is going on deep within us? You may have been a Christian over the past decade. Thankfully, and praise God, there are people who have become Christians in this room in the past decade. What amazing news that is. But just think, over that 10-year period, or if you became a Christian during that 10-year period, what has the change been? What does your 10-year challenge look like? Have you grown to be more like Christ? Have you grown deeper in him, deeper in love for him? Or have you backtracked? And actually, you're less like him now than you were 10 years ago. Is your life demonstrating more of the fruits of the Spirit than it was 10 years ago? Or have you actually just picked up more bad habits than you had 10 years ago? Are you more passionate for the gospel and for the gospel for the power of salvation now than you were 10 years ago? Or are you trudging along in some kind of begrudging obedience, hanging in there in your faith? What's happened? What have the changes been? Forget the former things. This seems to be doing a thing of its own. Let's see if we can get back. Need to keep going back? Is it doing something odd, Mike? There we go. We'll get there. As you read Isaiah chapter 43, what happens in verse 18, this call to forget the former things? It sort of hits the reader straight between the eyes. And it's one of these verses, particularly this one, that actually preachers over the years have been very guilty, and I probably have been as well, of manipulating this verse to make it say whatever we want. And so you can come into church and you can say, actually, the things we need to forget are the very things I want to change in church life, and we want to do the new thing. But actually, if we're going to be faithful to God's word, we need to dig a little bit deeper, don't we? We need to dig a bit deeper and say, well, how can we apply this? not only to our own life, but to our corporate life together. Because this is not about surface change, this passage. This is not about the new diet to shed those extra pounds that we've gained over Christmas. It's not about the new fitness regime that will probably last into next week and then fizzle out as we realize that we can't sustain it. This is about a fundamental change to seeing things God's way, to not being constrained by the past. So let's have a look at the context. What is going on? in this passage here. Well, the basic context is this. In this part of Isaiah, Isaiah starts to look forward to a time when those Jews who've been in exile are going to be called back to Jerusalem. They're going to go from Babylon back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. But in the start of the passage, in verse 16, what we find is a bit of a recap of the events of some of Israel's history. If you were here um, when we were doing the Micah series, we looked briefly then at the Exodus as to this pivotal event in Israel's history that became such a fundamental building block for how they understood themselves. But just a reminder that at the time of the Exodus, the people of Israel were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were made to work hard, long hours. It was horrific. It was a terrible time for them. And God raised up Moses, a man who, who God anointed, to free the people. So he ends up going to the Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, and he says, you need to let the people go. This is what God has said. And Pharaoh says, no, I want to keep my free labor. Thank you very much. And so God ends up sending plagues on the people to try and get Pharaoh to to change his mind. But his, his heart is hardened. Eventually, Pharaoh says, go on then, 
you better go. So off they go. They get to the shore of the Red Sea. Pharaoh now changes his mind and thinks, actually, that's not such a good idea. I want these people. So he follows them with an army, with chariots, with horses. And then what happens when they get to the sea? The sea parts, the people walk through. It then crashes over onto the armies and destroys the Egyptians. That is what is going on, if you like, in verse 16. This is what is being brought back to mind. This is a huge event of liberation for the people of Israel. They had walked free in the exodus from slavery. They walked in eventually to the promised land. You know, there are sometimes events in the life of any nation, of any people group, that remain just fixed in our sort of psyche, in our national psyche. If I say 1066, what happened? Battle of Hastings. If I went round the room today, just put your hand up if you'd be confident in telling me something about the Battle of Hastings. That's not very good. I was, ho- I was hoping for... Go on. There must be more of you could tell me something. Who became king at the Battle of Hastings? William. Who lost the Battle of Hastings? Harold. Yeah, most of us know that, don't we? But we may not give the details. Which tapestry was done? Yeah, there we go. We know it. We know this stuff. It's part of our national psyche. You can't write the history, particularly of England, without referring to the Battle of Hastings. If you were also going to write a history of Britain in the 20th century, you can't do it without referring to the two world wars. In the history of the people of Israel, the Exodus is up there. It's one of those type of events. It's a seminal, critical event that then feeds into the whole of their history. It was evidence to them that they were chosen by God, that they would be rescued by the Lord, that God would work miracles amongst them. But you know, as we think about our own lives as well, you may have moments in your own life that are also critical moments, pivotal moments, really significant moments. It may be the time you became a Christian, and that influences everything else because it was so dramatic. It may be the time when you became qualified in a particular role or a particular job, and that everything is referred back to that moment. It may be when you got married. It may be that God did a miracle in your life and everything seems to be viewed through the lens of that. There are those events that become foundational to how we understand ourselves, to the narrative of our lives. And so no sooner has this critical event of the Exodus been brought to mind by Isaiah than the Lord says, forget about it. Don't dwell there. Don't live there. Another translation puts it like this. Do not reason about the past. I like that. Don't reason about it. Don't think and sit around discussing it because God has got something new. Because there's a danger, isn't there? Memories fail. Memories fail. As humans, we are prone to romanticizing. Have you ever looked back with gold-tinted glasses onto something? And then try and relive the memory only to find that it's actually quite a disappointment. Christmas is a great time for sentimentalism, isn't it? When we can sit there and the twinkly lights and the, 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 the tinsel, they remind us of years gone by and we get all sentimental and nostalgic feeling deep inside. Or the reverse can happen and that something that wasn't particularly great, we, we look back at with bitterness and hardness because actually we haven't remembered it that clearly. A while ago, I was walking the dog in a place that I hadn't been since I was a child. 
And I had vivid memories of this place as a child. When I got there, it was totally different. Totally different. Now, the buildings were Victorian. They hadn't changed. The rocks were ancient. They hadn't changed. The river had presumably been there an awful long time. What had happened, my memory had remembered it wrong. I was dwelling. I was living in a past that wasn't actually the reality. And so the danger for the Jewish people, the danger for the people of Israel, was that as they looked at returning home from exile, is that they would be living in the past in a wrong way. They would be remembering potentially the past as a way that could derail them from all that God would want them to do in the future. Because God's plans for the future were not going to look like God's plans had done in the past. These people who were preparing to leave Babylon, they had an absolutely torturous journey ahead of them. 500 to 800 miles, depending on the route, through some of the most inhospitable terrain in the Middle East. One commentator puts it like this. The wilderness meant hardship and danger, and what could they expect on arrival? Not hearth and home and plenty, but a devastated land and the arduous task of rebuilding their lives from scratch. In a sense, the wilderness was just as frightening a thing as Babylon. So as these people got prepared to leave Babylon and to go back to Jerusalem, if they dwelt, if they lived back in those events of the Exodus, what would they have been expecting? They'd have been expecting the miracles. They'd have been expecting, well, there is no sea between Babylon and Jerusalem, but perhaps a river to part in front of them. They may have expected a cloud to to guide them by the day and fire to guide them by night, as it had done in the Exodus. They may have been expecting manna and quails to come out of the sky and feed them as they went. If they were dwelling back in the past, if they were living there, they would have missed what God was going to do in the future. They wouldn't have had eyes that were able to see it. Instead, what does God call them to? Well, if you want a challenge this afternoon, go and find out. Go and read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It tells us what happens next. And what happens next is exactly what this man says. It's going to be hard work. They are going to find that there is an awful lot to do. The miracles that happen in the Exodus don't really happen in the return from exile because God is going to do something very different. There'll be the centuries of wait until Jesus came. And if their hearts were stuck in the past, it would be very difficult to see what God would do in the present. We also have to remember, though, that God goes to call us to remember, just not to live there. There's a difference, isn't there? It says this in Psalm 77, 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. But remembering does not mean that we expect that God will just work in that one way in the future. You know, sometimes I fear for myself, and I wonder whether you do too, that actually we are so stuck on the way things were, on the way things we feel they should be, that we close our hearts to the new thing that God might want to do in our lives. God's movement in the future for the people of Israel, the way God moved, he was there, he was faithful. But it was through the smaller things than it had been in the Exodus. It was through working through officials. It was through God's faithfulness of being there, of enabling them to rebuild and get back to some kind of normality. But that was only a glimmer of the new thing that God was to do. 
You see, as Isaiah unfolds, what we find that the new thing really is all about is that God would send his Messiah. God would send Jesus. A new and greater exodus would come. Freedom not just from slavery, but from sin and the hope of eternal life. Now, I don't know what the new year will hold for you. I don't know what this next decade will hold for you. I don't know what we would all look like if we took a, a, a shot in 2030. It might be quite different. I don't know. None of us do. We can't look ahead. We don't have that ability. I don't know whether you enter this year brimming with hope and expectation or whether you go into this year fearful of what is to come. Perhaps you're here today and actually you're looking forward and you're thinking, actually, I want to be like the people of Isaiah's day. I want the past to be just like the future. I want the two to be exactly the same because, thank you, I quite like the past. But actually, God says there's a new thing for you. Something different is coming. Or you might be expecting more of the same and God is actually saying, no, it's not going to be more of the same. I'm calling you to something quite different in the future. Or you might be wanting something really exciting for the future. And yet God says, I just want you to be faithful where you are. That's the new thing that I've got for you. Or you may expect more of the same, and God has a life full of miracles and wonders to show you. Are we open to whatever it is that God would do in our lives? See, the important application for us of the new thing is that are we ready and open to God's leading and guiding, to whatever the Spirit would say to us, to wherever the Spirit would send us, through our everyday life, through our sharing of the good news. We've already heard this morning about Alpha. Are we going to take seriously that call that the new thing would happen in somebody else's life? That's what we're about, isn't it? God doing the new thing about bringing hope and gospel hope and forgiveness through Jesus to other people. This week I was reading a a post from a a friend of mine um, from many years ago when we were down in Bristol. And it was a post about um, her grandma who had sadly passed away over Christmas. But this was um, this friend of mine. She's renowned for being very honest. And she will say things exactly as they are. And it was a really refreshing post. Because she said, my grandma was a loving lady. She was a kind lady. She was also very strong-headed and petulant and annoying at times. And I thought, what honesty to be able to speak about one another like that. But she said this, and this is what really struck with me. She said, she was a lady who had a heart for Jesus and would talk about him with anybody and everybody. Wouldn't you like to be remembered as that kind of person? Who had a heart for Jesus a heart for the new thing, a heart for what God has done, and a willingness to share it with anybody and everybody. Forget the former things, Isaiah says. See, I am doing a new thing. The new thing starts and the return to exile, and it goes on through everything that happens through Jesus Christ. The good news is this morning is that we are in Isaiah's new thing. We're already there. The new thing that the Lord proclaimed is now amongst us. The completion of the exodus is just a foreshadow of what happens in Christ Jesus. And until the days when Jesus returns and the new thing arrives in completion, we live at this time where we can invite others to be part of God's new creation. 
These are not days of changing our understanding of God. This is not what the new thing is about. We're not to manipulate God's character or try and make God fit in with our context. But it's about God changing us so that we can walk more in step with him. And so there's a challenge, isn't there? About what do we pick up and what do we put down? See, I'm doing a new thing. Let's just have a quick look at that 2 Corinthians reading. Paul was writing to um, the church in Corinth. This church, probably of 20 or 30 people in this big Greek city, a pagan city, meeting in somebody's house, most probably. And to call this church dysfunctional is being kind. Um, They were a church that was racked with sex scandals, with spiritual boasting, with a lack of love, with all kinds of problems. And it's to this group that Paul simply says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All that Isaiah prophesied would take place is now here through Jesus Christ. It is here. Through the work on the cross, through the rising in glory, if we are found in faith in Christ through grace, we are gloriously and permanently made new. Our newness is because of Christ's work. We can look to the new thing because of what Jesus has done. Now, over Christmas, I'd imagine in many of our homes, new things arrived. Now, some of the new things literally descended into our house because one of them was this strange flying drone thing that Nathaniel had. That you, I should have brought it, really. You can control it with your hands. Like It's amazing. Um, other things were fake Apple um, AirPods, is it? That's the right one, isn't it? AirPods. These seem to be the thing this year. But, you know, it's two weeks almost since Christmas Day. Ten days, is it? And some of these new things have already lost their sparkle. They've already lost their shine. Some of them are now sat on the kitchen side waiting to find homes. Not so with our relationship with Jesus. We don't lose our newness when we're found in him. We don't become part of the new creation, then become part of the slightly stale creation. It doesn't become mundane. It just becomes permanently new. We are made permanently new and called to an eternity where everything through Christ is renewed. Living new requires us to remember what Christ has done, to remember that we live on the other side of Isaiah 43. And keep applying that to our lives and say, God, what is that new thing that you have for me at the moment? I have a nasty habit in life of picking up new things without putting old things down. I don't know if anyone does that. And you keep saying yes to things and then you suddenly realize that you can't carry all the things that you've got. Um, And Claire always tells me off for this and always looks at my diary and says, you've got far too much in there. How on earth are you going to do it all? And then I realize that actually I can't take on new things without putting something else down. As we go into this new decade, are there former things that you need to put down? Now, the most obvious former things that we need to put down are those things that are sinful. Those things that actually we know aren't on God's heart for us. Perhaps you're here today and you're obsessed with things that actually you know God isn't obsessed with. Perhaps you're here today and you're loving things that actually you know God doesn't love. Perhaps you have priorities today, and actually you know that those aren't the priorities that God shares. 
And actually, deep down inside, you know that God is calling you to put down those former things so that you can then pick up what it is that God calls you to. But you know, there are some former things that they may not be sinful, but there may just be things that God is saying, you need to stop this in order to do what I have for you in the future. You know, you may be here this morning, you may have been doing a ministry for years and years, and actually God says, I've got something new for you. But in order to walk into that newness, you need to be prepared to put down the former thing. It may be that in your work life or something, you're just going on and actually God is calling you to something great and exciting. But you've got to be prepared to put down the former thing, to listen to what the Spirit is saying for the future. It may be that actually we all need to go away today and say, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to put down? What is it that you're calling me to put down? And then the follow-up question. Is God calling you to pick something up for this new year? Just as we put down sin, in a sense it sounds a bit odd, but we can pick up holiness. Pick up that desire to live God's way. Because repentance isn't just about turning our back on things. It's about turning to God. And actually saying, this year, I want to live differently. I want to live without gossip in my life. I want to live without self-centeredness. I want to live in a way that honors Jesus through all that I do. It might be that God is calling you to pick up a ministry. You may have known that God has been calling you for years, and yet you've kept pushing it onto the back burner and ignoring it. And God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. See what the Spirit is saying. What is the Spirit saying to you today? So I want us to think about those two things. What is God calling us both to put down and to pick up. And we're going to just reflect for a few moments on this. We're going to do it in two ways. Firstly, we're going to say a prayer together. I'll explain that in a moment. But secondly, and this is if you're feeling a bit more proactive this morning, in our um, closing sort of songs in a moment, there is a recycling bin right over there by the doors, near where it says welcome cards. And next to it, on the table, are some bits of paper. If there are things you want to put down, and you would find this helpful. Write the thing down on it, screw it up, and chuck it in the recycling bin. Just to say to God, this is what I'm prepared to put down. This is the former thing I don't want to have anything to do with anymore if it's sin. Or this is the former thing that I actually feel that God is calling me just to lay down before him today. If you want to pick something up, and you feel that God is calling you to something new, write it on the piece of paper, take it home, and stick it somewhere prominent. To remind yourself, actually, this is what you feel God is saying. So if that's appropriate for you to, you to do that, I'll put it at the side so it's not as visible. Just make your way around there, do it, and then come back to your seats, join the other songs. But one thing I think it'd be really good for us to do together, and we've done this a number of times before at New Year, is to use the, um, the John Wesley Covenant Prayer as a reflection. I'm just going to put it onto the screen. Because this is a, a prayer that effectively says, God, I am open to the new thing, whatever that is whether I am employed or laid aside, brought high or brought low. It's a prayer of real recommitment to God. You may not feel able to pray this today. That, that, that is absolutely fine. Just, just let the words um, be spoken and see what, what is in there perhaps for you this morning. You may want to pray it silently. You may want to pray it out loud with me. So shall we pray? We'll pray that. And then while we're praying, perhaps with the music team, could make their way to the front. Simon will lead us in some songs, and then if you want to go and um, write anything on those bits of paper, there'll be a chance to do that. 
So let's just read these words silently for a moment, and then I will lead us in this prayer. So if you feel that this prayer is for you, if you feel able to pray this, please do join with me either out loud or in your own heart. I am no longer my own, but yours, God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you exalted for you or brought low for you let me be full let me be empty let me have all things let me have nothing i freely and heartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal and now o glorious and blessed god father son and holy spirit you are mine and i am yours so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.